People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. James Barris has taught mindfulness meditation for over four decades and is co-founder of the world-renowned Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Woodacre, California. He is co-author of two books, Awakening Joy, 10 Steps to a Happier Life and Awakening Joy for Kids. James has taught the Awakening Joy course to over 20,000 people from 30 countries since 2003, as well as retreats and workshops in the U.S. and internationally. He is a guiding teacher of One Earth Sangha, a virtual eco-dharma center devoted to expressing a wise response to climate change. Welcome, James, to Health Gig. Nice to be here with you, Dora. It's so nice of you to come on. And we've met before by Zoom and we're meeting again by Zoom. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you about finding joy in difficult times because, well... A, we know we're in difficult times, and B, we know we need to find joy. So Trisha and I love your work, but we want to start by asking you a little bit about you, your life, and how you found yourself where you are today. Well, that's a small question. (laughs) Uh, My life, I grew up in New York City, lived there most of my life till I was about 29 or so, moved out to California. I was a school teacher for many years in New York and really loved that. But I had a lot of questions about myself and about life and about inner peace. I was not particularly happy with myself, had a lot of insecurities and self-judgments and things like that. was very shy. I found meditation. I know that you're a proponent of mindfulness meditation, and that just steered me in a particular direction that I knew I wanted to make this the center of my life to kind of not only come to terms with myself, but see how I could be of use to others. And I love to turn people on to whatever I'm into. This is what I really wanted to share with others. So I became uh, very involved and committed to the meditative path, did a lot of meditation retreats, then helped start a meditation center out in California called Spirit Rock Meditation Center, which is a very well-respected center in the Buddhist world. Your listeners at all uh, yes. okay about that? And uh, it's Yes, okay. our listeners are very open-minded. Many of them are Buddhists. So yes, and Spirit Rock Meditation Center, I'm sure some of them have been there. That was my passion to turn as many people on to what had been so meaningful for me. And that's what I've been doing for the last 40 plus years. As far as the joy stuff, I know that you, you've you been very good cheerleader for the book and for joy, uh, which I so appreciate. I lost my joy for a while. I got very serious about my spiritual practice dead serious, as sometimes (laughs) emphasis on the dead. And for a while, I really wanted to understand some teachings that seemed to negate life. I lost my joy, and then I wanted to take a deeper look and see what are these teachings really about as far as happiness. The Buddha was called the happy one. Why is that? 
he talked a lot about suffering, but he talked a lot about happiness. And the Dalai Lama starts out his book, The Art of Happiness, with the first line, the purpose of life is to be happy. I said, okay, well, what, what does that mean? And how can I look at these teachings and share them in another way? And that's how I got into writing the book and doing the course that I love to share with people. Yes, and we're excited to talk about that. But before we get into that, are we innately joyful people or are we innately miserable? <laughs> well, I think all you have to do is look at a baby. And if that baby is fed and diapered and given a little bit of love, what do they do? They squeal with delight. Wow, isn't life wonderful? That's our true nature. It's not contrived, oh, I think I'll put on a smile so mommy will hold me. It's like, wow, hi, world. That's what we have to reconnect with. It's in there all the time. That's why I call it awakening joy, not finding joy someplace. Can I find the right secret rock that it's underneath? It's right inside of us. Just like it says in the Bible, the kingdom of heaven is within you. It's the same thing. It gets obscured by our thoughts and by our worries and by stress, but that's who we are when we are at ease. The natural state is connection and love and joy. We can all get there, but why do we walk around with this campaign of misery in our heads? Besides that innate goodness, we're wired up to protect ourselves because life feeds on life and you know whether you were a caveman or cavewoman uh looking out for the danger and were looking for your food that night any life form there's danger out in the world that's part of the deal we have this almond-shaped cluster of neurons in our brain called the amygdala that scans the horizon for danger and we've developed it really well. That's how we've survived all of these millennia, hundreds of thousands of years. When we are stressed, it gets overactive. What happens is for many of us is that we tend to look at the world through a lens that says it's dangerous or where's the next thing that could go wrong. And it takes practice to look for all the goodness. I came across a study that I share a lot. For most people, if they have one negative encounter, somebody says, I don't like the way you did that. It takes seven positive encounters of people saying, oh, hi, so nice to see you. Oh, have a good day or whatever, to kind of come back to stasis. Uh. My good buddy, Rick Hansen, who's a, a neuroscientist and a author. teacher, uh, an author, yeah, best-selling mm -hmm. author of Buddha's Brain and things like Wired for Happiness, he says the brain is like Teflon for positive experiences and Velcro for negative experiences. But with training, we can turn that around so that you're on the lookout for the good and not only on the lookout for it, but to really let it sink in and register is a whole other dimension of turning that Teflon Velcro ratio around. It's one thing to know, oh, I'm feeling really good right now. It's a whole other to know, oh, this is what it feels like to feel good. And that's where mindfulness comes in. When you not only cognitively know, 
oh, this is a nice moment, but you let it register in your body. I know you're very interested in body wellness. When you let it register in your body with mindful attention, you are deepening the neural pathways and retraining yourself to get out of that confirmation bias that says, oh, the world is dangerous and people are nasty and I've got to watch out. We have this confirmation bias. And if you can start to train your mind to look for the good, your brain, this is neuroscientifically, your brain will follow whatever the belief systems you have. And so if you're looking for how things are going to go wrong, you're going to actually miss out on all the times that they go right. But if you look for how amazing it is to be alive or that there's goodness inside of people and you look for it, your brain will pick that out and will actually help draw it out of others as well. So that's what we're doing. We need to retrain that tendency to look for what's wrong. It's such a better way to live. When you say look for the good, it reminds me of my mother because that was her mantra. Just look for the good when we complained or something. <laughs> One of the reasons I got into mindfulness is because I struggle with sort of a persistent depression. And mindfulness has been, among other things, an incredible tool for me. I mean, it's been invaluable. So I am grateful that it came into my life. But with depression, is it just that much harder to retrain the brain? What are your thoughts? It's a big question. And I know depression. I know what that's like. I've had my bouts of depression, certainly in my earlier days. And I'm very involved in climate. And so I go through, I think, important periods where I'm just kind of taking in all the sadness and the pain in the world. And it would be a mistake to just hide and put your head in the sand and say, oh, everything is fine. No, there's hard stuff in this world and there's sadness in this world and all of those things that are part of being human. But depression is a kind of state where you're looking at the world through that lens and it's really hard to see what's good. And so there is a few things that I think are very important. First of all, you have to be motivated to turn that around or to look for another way. Because if you're not, then you don't have the energy. It all comes from inside and saying, okay, I want to change. Even if you don't know how, that first step is the most important step. Okay, I want to come back to life. And I suggest that people take all the help they can get, whether it's talking out what goes on so you are heard and you're not keeping it all inside and somebody else can hold your pain and help you look at your thoughts and help you see things maybe a bit more clearly. Being in your body is huge because when we're depressed, we're just stuck in our head. And when we can get into our body, we get out of our head, so to speak. That takes some energy to overcome that inertia. And then there are tools and practices that you can use. For me, the main practice is looking for the good inside and around you. In my book, as you know, my book, there's 10 different wholesome states from the teachings that I'm familiar with that can be cultivated consciously. One of them, probably the most direct that opens us up is gratitude. 
So instead of looking for what's wrong, to start to even glimpse at all the good in one's life. And if you're scratching your head saying, well, I, there's nothing good in my life. Well, you're alive and you're breathing. That's a good start. How did I get here? I don't know. And how is my body fighting against invaders that I have no idea what's happening? Or if you're not in really serious health condition, you don't even realize how much your body is supporting you until something goes wrong. You start with that. Wow, my body and life is supporting me. And then it might be, oh, I have some kindness inside. Wow, what a great gift life has given me. Or I can maybe solve problems and think things through if I can train my mind to work for me instead of against me. Oh, I have friends in my life, all the loved ones who care about me. Oh, if you're fortunate enough to have a roof over your head and food on your table, you're doing better than, what was it? I just was looking at some crazy statistic, like 87% of the world are insecure around food or shelter. So it's like, you don't realize how good you have it until you start to look carefully. We're going to talk about your course, which I'm very excited about, which I am taking. <laughs> I just and, saw, so excited. And your course is Awakening Joy. Well, that's your book, but the course is also called that. Yeah. And it begins in, I guess, the end of January, beginning of February. I'm just going to say to the people listening, I hope you'll look at the course and we're going to give you the website at the end. And I hope you'll take it with me because you'll be excited when you see when at the end of this podcast, what we're going to cover in that course. But I did want to say that when I was registering for the course, I did your meditation yesterday. We said we've felt into our bodies in there. But one of the things you suggested that Thich Nhat Hanh suggests we do, which is when we sit in meditation or when we sit in quiet, we do a half smile. Just that little tiny practice. You can't feel as sad or as fearful if you're sort of smiling. Your body and your mind are continually giving feedback loops to each other. And if you're walking around in that mopey kind of attitude physically, that's what your mind is caught in. It's very hard to have a big smile if you're walking around in a mopey stance. And it's really hard to be depressed if you're going, yay, I have my <laughs> hands outstretched right now and put a big smile on your face. It's impossible to be depressed if you have a big smile. And even just the slightest half smile is sending a message to your brain and your heart. Oh, get some space. Because it's all about spaciousness. And this is maybe just a point that might be important for people listening to know. When we are not feeling good, when we're depressed or we're frightened or we're any what are called unhealthy states or unwholesome states, they're part of being human, but they're all about contraction. We're frightened or we're worried and we're agitated and there's a contraction in the body. I'm kind of putting my body together right now. And all the states of well-being, love, generosity, compassion, joy, they're all states of expansion, of openness. And so 
really all of the practices are learning to move from that contraction to a kind of openness and even the slightest slightest movement from contraction to expansion just like up curling of the lips and a half smile is a kind of reminder oh soften relax and as i say you don't have to go for a gusher you don't have to say <laughs> oh yes i'm so filled with i'm taking awakening joy i i'm no 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 that don't put pressure on yourself people say oh i try i'm trying so hard to be joyful forget it that won't yeah. work but even just the slightest movement towards opening even a tenderizing of the heart you're opening up the channel and then you just pay attention to that and give it more and more life that's the key well that was my experience anytime i do that it just changes from stress and negative to okay not so bad everything's okay but let's talk about Awakening Joy. As I mentioned, I'm so excited to be taking the course. I've read the book quite a few years ago. It was actually my daughter's mother-in-law gave her that book for Christmas. And my daughter brought it to me and she said, Mom, I think you'll really like this book. And I did. I loved it. So let's talk about joy. And how does one find joy? And what is joy? Well, this is a question that I spent a fair amount of time exploring after I lost my joy. And I first want to clarify about the word joy. For some people, it can be just such an inspiring word. And for others, it can seem daunting, remote, you know, not realistic. You know, are we talking about people skipping through fields of daisies in slow motion uh, commercial? When I'm talking about joy, I'm referring to all the states of well-being that are inside of us. And there's a continuum. For some people, joy can mean an effervescent, bubbly aliveness. For some people, it can be just a quiet contentment. It can be a sense of peace. For others, it can be just a chuckle at the world, or it can be just a delight in gratitude with feeling connection. You're not trying hard to do anything. There is this capacity for well-being that our being longs for. People sometimes say, well, I don't know if I have it in me or if I really can open to joy. I generally ask, do you want to be happy? Sometimes I'm in a room full of people. I say, anyone here doesn't want to be happy? I say, I know there might be some people in there holding your hand down, and, but really saying, yeah, I like being grumpy. <laughs> if that's you. If you like being grumpy, that's just your way of being happy. Whatever turns you on. Yeah. But there's something inside of us that is rooting for our well-being even though it might be misguided and does things that we later say, oh, what was I thinking? If you take a look, everything that you do is probably motivated because you think it'll make you feel a little bit better or a little less bad. So this is really deep, innate within you, this movement towards well-being. And then the trick is to just see where well-being really lies. If I have six pack of abs, or if I <laughs> look like a supermodel, or whatever, I'm you have this amount in my bank account, then I'll be happy. There's a whole lot of 
rich, famous people who are not necessarily happy. My friend and colleague Sylvia Borstein wrote a book called Happiness is an Inside Job. It's more about accessing that place that longs for well being and whatever on that continuum that creates some ease and not blocking all the goodness inside. This is what I'm called awakening joy. I love that distinction because we're all bio individual, we're all different. It's wonderful that we can all experience our own kind of joy, our own sense of well-being. We're not cookie cutter people. And finding that well-being inside us, no matter what it is, can only benefit us. As long as, here's the caveat that sometimes people need to learn, as long as it's not causing harm to ourselves or to others. Because if our well-being is at the expense of somebody else's suffering, this is not a sustainable well-being. One of the 10 states is living with integrity, and that becomes a foundation for a sense of ease and alignment with our values. So that's just the one little piece I wanted to add. That's a big piece. That's That's a big piece. It's a big piece. We don't want to harm others. We've talked a little bit about how mindfulness meditation merges with awakening joy, but can you expand a little bit on that? Happy to. Mindfulness saved my life. The teaching on mindfulness uh, starts with the line, there is one way to overcome ill will and hostility and pain and anxiety and realize the highest happiness, and that's the establishment of mindfulness. Why? Because mindfulness has some unique properties. In Buddhist psychology, we have lots of different, what are called mental factors, different capacities, some of them beautiful, love, compassion, peace, some of them not so beautiful, envy, jealousy, anger, all of those, greed, attachment. There are 52 in Buddhist psychology, just for those who are curious and interested. That's kind of like the deck that we're dealt. Of all of those, mindfulness has the unique property of weakening all the unhealthy states, the states of suffering, and strengthening all the healthy states. So for instance, I know you do mindfulness meditation and you know, if you're worried and your mind is just spinning with worry, and you're caught up in the story, oh, what's going to happen? And we're just caught in that story. When you bring mindfulness to your experience and realize, oh dear, you're just spinning your wheels in worry. It's okay. And there's that spacious awareness that's seeing, oh, the mind is just caught in worry now. You're not feeding those thoughts and you can hold them with a tender, kind awareness and they weaken. And when you're having a wholesome state, you're feeling grateful, for instance, and then you bring mindfulness to the gratitude, you are deepening it dramatically because mindfulness increases, amplifies that wholesome state. It occurs to me, if you're into it, could take you and the listeners on a very simple experience right now. Yes. On what I said, for instance. Okay. Please do. So just for fun, 
You can close your eyes for a moment. Bring to mind some blessing in your life. Maybe someone that you're grateful for or that you love or some situation in your life. And everyone listening, I hope you're doing this too. Just call up a blessing. And now have an image of that person or that life situation, just so it becomes a bit more vivid. And now give a simple thank you right from your heart to that person or to life. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being in my life. And now just relax in that feeling of gratitude. Feel it in your body. Oh, thank you. And then just relax and enjoy it. Notice how it feels. Take another breath. Take a nice deep breath. Call up another blessing. You probably have so many. Someone else or something. Probably won't have to think very long. Call up an image of this blessing. And then a simple, silent thank you. Oh, thank you for being in my life. And now just enjoy it. Just relax, feeling the landscape of gratitude inside. Oh, thank you. One last time, we do things in threes in these teachings. Nice deep breath. And one more blessing. You probably have so many. Don't, don't worry about it. You don't have to apologize to the ones that you didn't call up. And just someone else or something else. And have an image. So you're really connected with it. Then a simple thank you. Just really get in touch with it. Thank you. Well, thank you, life. And pay attention. Just notice what gratefulness feels like. Oh, thank you. In your body and in your mind, in your heart. Okay, and then take your time. Whenever you're ready, you can come on back. How is that? Well, that felt good. I felt a warmness in my heart. I felt just this relaxing of the mind. And it just felt good. And like I said before, it's one thing to know, oh, yeah, this is good. And it's another to know, oh, this really feels, this is what it feels like to feel good. Yes. And that's applying mindfulness to that 
sweet state. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is gratitude. Oh, it's so great that I have that capacity. Yes, the mind and the body. So that's how mindfulness works. When you're having a wholesome moment, you know, sometimes people say, oh, the whole course can be distilled into three words. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Because usually it's, oh, what a beautiful sunset and what's for dinner. Uh, <laughs> but just really letting it register and nourish ourselves, that makes all the difference in the world. You mentioned one of the different ways to access joy. You mentioned integrity. Share with us another one, a way that we can access joy that we will cover in our course together. Yeah, well, there's 10. Well, one is connection with others. We long for connection, and sometimes it can be the most difficult thing in our life, especially those closest to us. Part of that is if there's forgiveness, if there's stuff that gets in the way, you know, forgiveness is a theme that runs through the course and seeing what blocks it, whether it's loving ourselves is one of those 10, and then connection with others. This is where it comes back to what I was saying earlier about looking for the good. With those closest to us, sometimes it takes a little bit more practice because, you know, oh, I know he doesn't take out the garbage and, you know, that can be what our filter is. But if you look and remember with those closest to us, oh, this is why this person is important to me. And you keep on looking for their goodness. The more you not only see it yourself, but let them know that you appreciate it, that deepens the feedback loop. You know, when somebody says, oh, I really like the way you did that. You know, I really appreciate it, especially if it's somebody close to you. It's like, oh, okay, I count again. Um, we're not just going through our motions, but it can be a practice that you do with everyone. You go into a store, the clerk waits on you, and you are appreciating that they're serving you. If you're looking for the good, you draw it out of them. Not only will you see it, but you can, as I often say, you can be at a room, somebody comes into that room, and you sense that they're looking and they're seeing all your flaws. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? Flawed or defensive or uh, I don't know. You can feel their vibe, so to speak, if I can use that word. Somebody else comes into a room and you just sense they're seeing your goodness and they're appreciating who you are, and they have that kind of warm energy of goodwill, how do you feel? You feel beautiful. You feel relaxed. You can be yourself. So they have a power over actually activating that in you. You can do the same. So my practice for many years, even before I got into meditation, being inspired by this book, Be Here Now, which changed my life, the instructions were to see the good in everyone, to love everyone. Not an easy task, but my practice has been looking for the good for many, many years, and it's a whole lot better way to go through life than looking for the bad, because that is what you'll bring out when you are in that negative mode. People will feel wary and will not bring out the best. So that's a very simple profound, life-changing practice to keep looking for the good inside and around you. What about singing? Maybe you've seen on the website, 
singing has always been my go-to access to well-being. If I'm in a, a funky mood, you know, that's what singing the blues are about. You kind of get it out. For me, if I'm really, it doesn't happen that often, but I can get into a nasty mood. I put on old Bob Dylan, you know, you got a lot of nerve. How does it feel? <laughs> but for me, I have a lot of joyful playlists where if you're singing, I tell people to sing every day as a way to feel alive. And if singing isn't your thing, some creative expression. For some people, it's drawing or dancing. Some creativity where life is moving through you. But singing and music is a powerful way to access and have a vibration that uplifts you. You know, for me, I put on James Taylor. I don't know, you know, people might say, oh my God, James Taylor. <laughs> I, he's one of the, oh, uh, is somebody I just have to hear, because I can hear his goodness. Besides, I know the songs back and forth, you know. It's hard for me to be in a bad mood when I hear, you know, shower the people you love with love or like that. But everybody finds their own and whether it's singing or just listening to music can also do that. But if you're singing, you're going to come alive. You mentioned Bob Dylan. So whenever I want to feel uplifted, Bob Dylan sings This Little Light of Mine. Mm. It is so fantastic. And I'm you can't help but feel joyful after that. That's one of my go-to, by the way, in the course. I end every theme with a song, and this little light of mine is the go-to song. I'm always usually end, end retreats when I lead a retreat. Okay, here's your instruction, and we all sing together this little light of mine. We touched a little bit on this with the depression, but if someone's having a hard time through the holidays and into the new year, how can you find joy? One of the 10 steps is what I call in the book, finding joy in difficult times. That might be a stretch to even think of the word joy, but just dealing with our struggles and the pain in our heart is a key piece of, say, Buddhist teachings. As the Buddha said, the first noble truth, there's suffering in life, and then there's a cause and there's an end to suffering and there's a path leading to the end to suffering. So that is a key to work with the pain in our hearts. And there are, like we were saying before about depression, there's not a quick fix. So the first thing is to not try to be happy, but first just acknowledge where you're at. We think we're going to just be swallowed up if we go down the rabbit hole. That's where having a good friend as support can be helpful. But to just say, oh, I'm having a hard time. For instance, we do a mindful self-compassion practice as one key tool to hold our pain. This is from Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer, who are meditators in our community. They put together this whole neuroscientifically backed program called Mindful Self-Compassion. And Mindful Self-Compassion, very simply, we can do it here just as a very simple exercise. And if you're listening, if you're having a hard time, just go through this Mindful Self-Compassion break with me. Let's call the Mindful Self-Compassion break. First, Call to mind something that might be snagging you. Don't pick the most intense thing. 
but just something that, mm, oh, there's that, just to work with. Okay, now the first thing is to just even calm your whole body down. So physiologically, put your hand on your heart or give yourself some soothing, loving touch. This releases oxytocin, the feel-good hormone, stimulates the vagus nerve, the compassion nerve. I just feel that loving touch. And then a few very simple reflections. Oh, this is hard right now. Just to acknowledge it. This is a moment of suffering. And then to reflect what's called common humanity. Think of all the people in the world who are going through what you're going through, whether it's sadness or worry or whatever, fear. All the millions and millions of people, you're not alone. And maybe have some compassion for all of them for a moment. And then to send that compassion to yourself. Oh, let me hold this with kindness and compassion. And there you are, the one inside that needs comforting. And they're getting just what they need from your wise self that's holding, holding them. It's like coming into wholeness. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is hard. This is part of life. And let me hold this with kindness. And just notice how that feels. When you like, you can open your eyes. So that's the first step to just learn how to hold all of that pain instead of getting dysregulated by it. Then there are other things like we were saying, being in your body, noticing with gratitude, reaching out to friends, taking the focus off of yourself to see who out there you can support and love. That's what changes it from being a contracted, oh, it's all about me, to, oh, how can I help? There's something very uplifting. Generosity is a key source of joy. Working in a soup kitchen, if you're feeling all alone, serve food to other people and see their smiles on their faces. It'll take you out of your own small story. So lots of different things like that. I love that idea that we're all connected and that can help us as we go through something difficult to know that others share that. But I have one more question before we talk about the course and how people can be involved in it. Let's say you're practicing these things and you're opening your heart to others, but they're not responding in the same way. What are your thoughts? As one of my main teachers said many years ago, if you have love for the world and others can't take it in, that's their problem, not yours. You don't want to stop your goodwill and your love 
but you also don't want to make it a test to see if you can somehow awaken them. And people have to decide that they're open to well-being. And this is where love and compassion are balanced with another quality. This is one of the last of the qualities, equanimity. Compassion balanced with equanimity. And what equanimity means, you can hear the word equal in it or equipoise, equilibrium. It's about balance in seeing everybody has their own journey. You can wish people well. I try to wish everyone well, even those who I can be tearing my hair out when I see how could they be doing that in in the world and such sadness or hatred or things like that. For me, one of the most profound of all teachings is Jesus on the cross saying, forgive them, they know not what they do. I can still wish them well, but realize it's not up to me to wake them up and they have their own journey. They're going to learn their own lessons. I don't want to close my heart to them, but I also want to have healthy boundaries and not make it my obsession or my test to see, can I break through to them? It's easy to become codependent or an enabler, you know, and just think, oh, what can I do to make them feel better when they can't, you know, what's the saying? God helps those who help themselves. You want to keep your heart open and honor somebody's journey and pick and choose who's going to keep opening your heart and hang out with them, as the teachings say. Keep the company of the wise and as much as you can, avoid the company of the unwise or at least wish them well, but you don't have to get into an ongoing dance with them and have healthy boundaries between you and those people. Tell us about the Awakening Joy course and how it works and all of that. Well, first, thank you so much for asking. Yeah, it's something that I've been teaching since 2003. And I wrote a book in 2010, Awakening Joy, that was the course fed into the book and the book feeds into the course because I wanted to see if these theories I had actually worked. I was starting to write the book in 2001. It took me quite a while to get to it, but I said, I want to check this out and just see is this just hypothetical ideas. And so I started teaching or sharing with others what I wrote lo and behold, it really worked. And people told others and a lot of people do the course over and over. It's not like they failed Awakening Joy. It's just that it's all about practice. There are 10 sessions begins, as you say, this year's course begins the end of January, 31st of January. These days, I do it all online. I used to have live class that was recorded and then online. Now it's all live online and the classes, the recordings are posted because there's people from all kinds of time zones. I send out practice letters and there's reminder cards that you could put on your refrigerator. And the whole thing is about practicing these very practical, pragmatic principles that start to retrain yourself to be here for all the good in your life. A lot of people take it. I'm still fortunate that quite a few people take it each year. It's a modest 
uh, relatively modest considering these days, suggested donation for the course, no one is turned away. That's been a principle that I've taught with for many years. So if the price is not inside your budget, you can name a different price. So that's one thing. It's how I've always taught how I teach on retreats too. You go, you do it. Ideally, if you do it with a friend or in a group, and we have groups that we can put people in, I'd love it if you led a group, Doro. <laughs> That's my little, you know, I hadn't thought about it until I saw you signed up yesterday. You said, I think I want to get people into this. You'd be great, but that's a whole other thing. Or you can do it on your own, and there's the book that goes with it. It's done as a nourishing experience. You can't fail at awakening joy. That would be too much. You say, oh, I'm behind in my awakening joy homework. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is done as a nourishing, no pressure, no burden, just to nourish yourself. And everyone in your life benefits from it. So you just go to awakeningjoy.info. And you'll see the whole course, and I have a video there, and I explain the course, and you can sign up, and if there's any questions, you can write us. And I'd love to have all of your listeners do it with me. It's fun. For those of you who are listening who are going to do the course after you sign up, let me know, and we can do it together. And I just think it will be a great way to start the new year. I just had a thought we can give you a special code. We can put it on the website. And when people go and use your code, we'll know everybody who's come from your listeners. Perfect. Okay. That'll be fun. James, thank you for this wonderful hour together. And you're doing amazing work in the world. And I'm just so happy our listeners can know more about you. It's a pleasure. It's really fun for me to meet you. And I'm really touched by all the good work that you're doing and uh, look forward to our continued friendship. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.